Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, the founder of EnhancedEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest is an absolute legend of the online game, John Ape Styles Van Fleet. John is currently number four in lifetime online poker multi-table tournament winnings with a cool $15.8 million, with $5 million plus of that coming from a ridiculous two-month venture playing 25K MTTs on GG Poker last November and December, which you are moments away from hearing all about. And not only has John been crushing tournaments for almost two decades, he is also as generous as they come when it comes to helping other folks out and sharing valuable information that probably isn't in his own best self-interest. When it comes to multi-table tournament coaches, you'll also be hard-pressed to find a better dude to help you ascend through the poker rankings than John. In our conversation, you'll also learn why structure is paramount to John's success in life, why the game of poker is an amazing example of a meritocracy that is more pure than almost any other life pursuit, how he uses Pio Solver to generate heuristics and find patterns he can actually execute as a human being at the poker tables, and so much more. So strap in, get ready to rock and roll and consume a plethora of greatness bombs from world-class tournament crusher, John Ape Styles Van Fleet. John, nice having you on the show. I appreciate your time and energy. How are we doing, sir? Um, I had a wild couple months in poker. So for the last six years or so, I had this kind of setup where I was going to coach during the week and just study with my friends and then play during series on the weekends and when I felt like it. And that pretty much resulted in me, well, for the most part, winning a lot and also having this variance-free income of, po- of, of coaching and the coaching really developed my game. And then... uh yeah, in October, there started to be these big, big tournaments on, on GG Network, these 25Ks. And uh, they were soft. They were built around a couple whales and uh, a couple VIPs. And I decided I wanted to give them a shot because I think that I've, I, I don't think that that many players have, have worked as hard as I have. So I, I sold a lot of my action. And, uh, you know, I think I had a total of like 25% of myself. And in November, went on a huge upswing, like a $2 million upswing. It's pretty good November. Yeah, it's the best month I've ever had. I mean, on paper, for me, I didn't actually make $2 million. I made, you know, like half a million. Then I'm like, okay, you know, this 
this uh I, like I, I'm giving away money here. I got to take more of myself. And then, uh, yeah, in December, I went on the 1.5 million downswing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it's really funny because with poker, I've managed to kind of cut out the emotional aspect for like as much as you can. So I really focus on mental game, just staying staying focused on decisions. Uh, when I have a bad day, I just look at my hands, move on, willing to try out new things. But man, for this kind of money, for the kind of money that I was playing for, I was starting to get tilted. You know, I, I was, I could, I could tell that my emotions were affected. Now, on the good side, it did make me really, really study hard, like every single hand that I lost because I was playing like two tables, and I'm not used to that. You and generally I was, play more. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I, so I had time to solve like every single hand that I lost on and, uh, and really pay attention to the, uh, ICM, the payout structures of those tournaments. What, what does that process look like for solving a hand? For a PO solver, like what I essentially do is, is I ask a specific question like, oh, was this bet a good, you know, was this, was this bet a bet that the majority of my, my like that, that PO would take most of the time, or is this, is this hand more efficient as a check? And then I'll put the bet sizes that were used in the hand to answer that question. But if I have another question, that's like what bet size is best on this, on this, on this street, I'll put in multiple bet sizes and you have to make sure that you put in bet sizes other than the one that you used so that you don't get like noise, like, like false information. Because PO has to be able to make big raises, things like that. But uh, yeah, mainly it's about asking objective questions and, and trying to get answers to those questions. And when when you're ranging, so like PO to me is a powerful yet very dangerous tool as far mm-hmm. as software goes because you make some false assumptions in a spot against a specific opponent. That's going, you know, whatever answer you get. Like you said, it's going to be a lot of noise, and the answer that it spits out is not going to be uh, an optimal answer. So, how do you navigate those waters of like determining a range and then node locking and moving forward from there? Well, that that's what people don't don't realize a lot of the times is that um, any of these solvers are also exploitation machines because when you reach a, an equilibrium point, you're actually maximally exploiting one another. So. When you, if you are to change any of the frequencies on either side, it'll exploit maximally for you there. So, um, the problem that people have is just misinterpretation of PO. Like they, they want to play exactly like PO Solver. When I'm looking for general heuristics, I'm looking for for overall patterns that make sense to me that I can translate into my human brain and then try to execute a, a simplified version of those, those strategies. However, sometimes I'm just playing poker. Like, what I, and what I mean by that is I, I, don't, I, I, I don't discredit my 15 years of experience playing professionally um, of, of hand reading in certain spots, and I don't forget that I'm playing against a human. A lot Absolutely. So... I think sometimes if, if you're really, you know, getting too concerned with the, the minutiae, like, oh, I should bet this hand 20% of the time and check 80% and 
what should my bet size be and blah, 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 blah. You're thinking too much about the wrong stuff. You got to think more about, I mean, that's important for sure. But I think it's more important to think about the composition of your range, the composition of your opponent's range, what's going to happen on future streets, uh, what what you expect to happen, what you want to happen, things like that. I, I think that uh, sometimes people waste a lot of brain power on things like bet size on the flop when you know you can simplify and yeah, just for sure, have a couple of bet sizes in any spot. Yeah, for sure. And, and what you said is like straight in my wheelhouse. Don't forget you're playing against people. You're always playing against people, and that the human brain you do have to simplify it, right? Like the human brain is not a solver and people are very, people can be very predictable. So mm-hmm. by leaning on that predictability, and like you said, there are some spots in these 25K tournaments, these guys are most likely going to be predictable and that 15 years of experience will often lead you to excellent decision-making compared to just plugging it into a solver and then going from there. You know, I'm actually not entirely sure that this is correct. But when I went on that $2 million upswing, um, and at that point in time, I was the third or second biggest winner in the 25Ks, I was kind of playing more my game, just my game, which is uh, an exploit-heavy game. And I got some feedback from a couple of my friends who were playing the games that they thought I was over-aggressive in a few spots. Because I'd shown down some goofy stuff, and um, any example started, of a goofy a goofy showdown? Uh, check raise bluffing a river with the wrong combos um, in one spot, and uh, like betting too much in blind versus blind scenarios, where uh, in limp pots, just because I think that even like really strong players have a tough time defending. Um, there's a lot of spots where the population overfolds based on research that I've done and the population of regs overfold. And those are spots that I attack uh, pretty aggressively until somebody shows me I can't. Um, so a lot of my over aggressive play is what, what's got me where I am. But occasionally I get caught with my pants down and I look pretty dumb, but uh, that's the nature of the beast. I stopped caring about that a long time ago though. For me, it's also the process of becoming an expert is about not having about making mistakes and learning from them. So if I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but you know, if it's an aggressive action and I'm not 100% certain, I'm going to go for it most of the time just cuz, you know, I'm going to learn from it either way and a lot of the times people make more mistakes versus aggressive actions. Now versus calls, I'm actually more likely to um if I'm not super sure, I'm I'm just going to muck it because the population under bluffs. Uh, especially when it comes to rivers. But uh, when it comes to, you know, making a play that, that makes sense to me, even if I'm not super sure if it's part of my range, yeah, I go for it. And <laughs> like I said, so after I got that feedback from my friends who were, who were buying action off of me, I did start using a randomizer more and start to play a bit more how I knew that PO Solver played. And Honestly, I think I, I was running really bad in December. Uh, I don't think that, that that my play was a huge part of that downswing. It, it's a pretty normal downswing for that for that buy-in level. But uh, it is kind of funny that as soon as I really started trying to play like more 
correct or PO solver wise, I went on this big downswing. That's pretty sick now that I think about it. Like 1.5 million downswing, that's 60 tournaments. How often are these 20Ks, 25Ks running on GG poker? Like I'm in the States, so I'm, I'm out of it. Well, there's a, there was a guy who he's not playing anymore, but who was down around like 15, 20 million. And the games were kind of built around him. He, he started getting better by the end though. But at, at one point when they were first firing off, there was a day when he put 16 entries into one tournament and uh, he was just, I can't even do the math. It's too much. 250 K. Yeah, yeah, he had to get first to to win. I mean to 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 not to get his money back. So there they were just kind of built around him and, and there were some days where like 20 ran in a day. It's basically the biggest sit and goes, like the sickest action other than like Macau at this point right now. You know, they were just really big tournaments. And it took some adjusting and I'm still not used to it. Like, oh, I just had a normal session, lost 10 buy-ins, 250K. <laughs> just, yeah, they were going for a while and they were really good at first, And the but the rake increased and um, the, the guy who was dropping a lot of money, he still wasn't playing super good, but he he wasn't just not caring. You could tell that he was trying. And some of the other players that made those tournaments um, worth playing uh, stop playing them. So they're for now, I think they're, they're, they're gone, but they were pretty epic. And the other thing that was really, sorry, I'm, I'm just kind of rambling here, but the other thing that was really epic about these tournaments is that for a while they were like, for me, they were like 3 a.m. to like 3 p.m. or he would sometimes go for 18 hours. And man, that was really uncentering for me. I have to say like, like, those are the worst possible hours. <laughs> like, yeah, me um, too. And I, uh, I think that that actually kind of threw me off because, um, you know, in the past I've had I've had issues with uh, alcohol and drugs, things like that, and I don't do that anymore at all. But it definitely felt like I was on drugs when I was staying up all night long, trying just drinking coffee, trying to play this guy. It felt like I was, uh, yeah, I just did not feel like I usually feel. And so I think that that might have contributed a little bit to, yeah, just being off balance playing those things. But uh, it, yeah, it was wild <laughs> for yeah, sure. For sure. I mean, he, I've put my time in playing sessions until five or six in the morning and not not going to sleep until the sun came up, and absolutely hated it. Like I just always feel like a zombie for at least a day afterwards, mm-hmm. and so it's just not conducive for me to good play. Like I want to go to sleep. I want to wake up and then I want to play my session and then I want to go about my day. That's typically how my schedule is. Uh, I, I want to, I do want to go back though uh, to something that you said about being aggressive and that when given the choice to be more aggressive or less aggressive, you typically choose to be more aggressive if you know your in, if your intuitions lead you down that direction, which is like right in my wheelhouse, right? Like this is something that I preach to, you know, students, to my audience, to people all the time is that you take these aggressive actions, instead of passing them up, you get the opportunity to learn something, right? Like maybe you learn an exploit against your population that not many people are taking advantage of, and it just prints. So like, 
take the aggressive action and like, okay, sometimes you look like a freaking idiot and you splat on the pavement and like that's part of poker and part of life. But mm-hmm. like when you take these risks, you do learn and that contributes to growth overall. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of what I tell myself. I, I think that most, if not every expert at any in any field is someone who has tried a lot of things and failed and learned from those. So I'm still learning through trial and error. And there's nothing like, for me, I, I have that motivation that when I lose doing something like that, I really want to look at it, question my thought processes, see if, that they're, if they were valid or not, solve them, talk with friends about them. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're not. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> uh, some, sometimes, sometimes I was way out of line. Or I was thinking along the wrong lines. Like um, in the hand that I was talking about earlier in the 25K, the the action went, I bet the flop, villain called, then the turn went check, check. And then on the river, I, I blocked the nuts and I check raised all in with a nut blocker. But the villain would have had, would have bet the turn with the nuts. So it would have been better for me to block. Like if I had, if I had rivered, like a pair of some kind or bottom pair that those are the kinds of hands that want to check raise bluff. Cause generally what was, the hand, what was the makeup of the board? Like what, what, well, this is, this is the, the, in, in this case, it's actually overly general is okay. Okay. Just because the idea is that a lot of the times when you check raise or, or you raise rivers, blocking the nuts and blocking a pair, like doing both is, is what you want to do it with. Typically, your best bluff catchers are your best bluff raises, or it, pretty close, actually. And uh, in this case, I was blocking the nuts, but when someone checks behind on the turn, they don't have the nuts very often. Right. So it's better to block the majority of their calling, their bet calling range, which would be like river two pair. Right. That makes sense. So yeah, it, uh, the board itself, I actually don't remember exactly, but uh, I, I think that in a general sense that that's going to be fairly true across most situations. Also in that spot too, uh, on a checked through turn, um, a lot of times it's hard to get two bets on the river. So if you do have the nuts, then I would say typically it's a bet to prevent like a check back. So going for a check raise might be a little overly ambitious. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that um well the idea is that check raise bluffs should be rivered like a rivered bottom pair, which right. is like very rarely going to happen. Um so you don't you don't that's gonna randomize for you. <laughs> um and uh yeah, for the most part, like you shouldn't really be doing a whole lot of river check raise bluffing. Although some players you can make I mean the population from what I've seen after betting the river folds to raises about 65 to 70% of the time, especially versus random accounts. So I do think there are a lot of opportunities for river bluff raises. And this is your population, right? Like not a general. This, this is reg population. Reg population, I, I, uh, just reg population reg. in the big one Oh nine actually is, is where I get this information, but, uh, or that's a pretty I, good price on a bluff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, but the thing is you have to get to the river Somehow, <laughs> right, 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 yeah. So there is like you have to like usually have called a couple streets or whatever, right? Yeah. So 
why the decision to do more coaching versus playing? Was this, uh, you know, why consciously did you opt to go that route? Honestly, I've, I've been through a lot of, a lot of ups and downs in my poker career. And a lot of them had to do with, um, my issues with, with addiction. So I, uh, when Black Friday happened, I uh, I had been I had quit everything, but then I don't know going from country to country trying to figure out where I was going to live. There was a lot of uncertainty. What was this like? Let Let's set the stage here. Like, so Black Friday happens, and it just you know this is like the antagonist for the podcast. By the way, like I think this is like the main villain is Black Friday. Like, what was your bankroll like? What was your life situation before deciding on you know what you're going to do, where you're going to move, and what what the play is going to be? I think I had not not a whole lot. I think I had about like uh, six figures to my name at that point, and. I checked out Costa Rica first and I uh, went to a couple different places and eventually ended up in Cabo with a bunch of my friends. And um, yeah, I didn't, what, what, what has helped me with success in poker is having structure in my life. And I didn't have structure and uh, you can walk into the, to the drugstores there and get anything you want. So I started, taking a bunch of Adderall and taking a bunch of different drugs. And, and uh, yeah, I kind of lost my mind while, uh, while I was out there and blew my whole role and then some. And uh, essentially I went to, yeah. Okay. This, this is, this is actually, man, I hate telling this story because it, it makes me look like such a degen, but I've been staying up all night playing uh, high stakes heads up singles, which aren't even my game. And, uh, I'd been up for a couple days and my friends were like, they turned off the internet and took my computer. And I was like, Hey, give me my computer back. And they were like, we'll give it back to you if you can tell us what day it is. And I got the month wrong. So I was playing super high stakes, heads up, sit and goes, uh, just completely like insane. So in 2013, I decided to go to, uh, like a rehab treatment center, really reevaluate my life. Got a lot of tools for um, that can actually translate to poker. I just, I just got a lot of spiritual tools and, and worked on myself a lot. Like and what? Uh, meditation for the most part. Um, also just really being congruent with like the person that I want to be and, and not being also just trying to be as, you know, just genuine, vulnerable, open, things like that. And I also felt a lot more connected to people. I love poker players, but they're all very, yeah, like they're all, they're all very uh, analytical, you know? And, (laughs) and uh, I I felt from this experience that I I, I had a place where I could connect with people on a different level and uh, do service that way. So, you know, for the last six years, I haven't drank or, or, anything like that. And, and, uh, uh, for the most part, my, my graph has been straight up and my, my life has been really, really good since then. But yeah, the, the, I've been my own worst enemy a lot of the times. And I've had a few of those punts actually on a, on a, on a couple of days and, and where I've, where I've just blown, you know, a lot of my own money. And, uh, Guys like me who who have kind of those addictive personalities don't usually make it in poker. 
And the reason why I do make it, I've learned is, or I have made it is because I've set up a structure and a schedule and I play that schedule and I study. Anyway, to answer your question, that was a very long answer to your question. (laughs) No, Uh, no, it's great. uh, To answer the question, when I got out of treatment, I, I actually didn't have very much money at all. None, really. I was broke. And I knew that I had a skill set. So, and it was going to take me a while. I actually, I owed my, my buddy, Steven, or Stevie444, Stephen Chidwick, a lot, like a lot of money. Um, but he wasn't pressed about it. He just wanted me to be good, you know, to get better. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to plan my life around my coaching income and whatever happens in poker happens. And um, I'm going to do my best to pay everyone back and, and just grind out of this. And I started off offering coaching at like a hundred bucks an hour. Cause I wasn't really sure, you know, my stock in the poker world had kind of plummeted. And, um, then I started crushing everything and then I, uh, needed, became excited about poker again, excited about learning and joined some study groups. And then from there, I just, my coaching business kept building. Uh, I learned a lot about coaching, uh, about how to teach. Cause that's a separate skill. And um, my poker results were just out of this world, um, more than I could have expected. So it was uh, kind of a comeback story for me. Um, but the the lesson is really that the comeback only could happen if I had some discipline around um, my mental health, my physical health, and had balance in my life. And <clears throat> that is what I think was kind of missing when it, when it came to playing these 25 K's and things like that. Maybe some people can do that, you know, play, play super long sessions, stay up all night. But for me, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. Some people can, you know, like, I mean, you know, back in 2007, I, when I was grinding mid stakes cash games, um, I would berate myself for not being Nenonoko. Like, how? Why? Why is this dude playing twelve hours a day, ten tables, and he can function like a normal human being? And I can only go for you know a max of six hours at six tables. Um, and I think like people are just built differently. And mm-hmm. what you said is a hundred percent accurate. That a lot of people who have these mental game issues, uh, the gambling, and then pair that with addiction no matter how good they are at poker, like your rock bottom is not, you know, that's not representative of your poker playing ability, right? Like it, but I've seen, I've seen the same story played over and over and over again with people. Um, especially, you know, one person that's very, very close to me and they didn't make it. They, you know, they just, they're more talented poker player than me and they couldn't break through, um, the addiction and then also some other mental game issues that, like you said, uh, I, I've, I've been the guy that's unplugged the computer and told somebody, Hey, I'm going to grab this computer. I'm going to break it in the parking lot. Like, or we can quit and we can, we can go get some breakfast. We can talk and then, you know, you can get your head screwed on right and play. But like me breaking your computer is a plus EV play compared to what your, you know, the, your current trajectory, right? Yeah. My, my jerk friends didn't like when they did that, I mean, they were actually, they were really trying to help me, but I was in the middle of a freaking huge pot. Anyway, <laughs> but it, <laughs> but like, uh, no, but that's a good point. What you're saying. And is that, that when it comes to betting on someone in poker, 
I would bet on somebody that is very nitty about their decisions, about where they decide to place their money and when they bet, how long their sessions are, over somebody who is reckless and has like a, an enormous amount of skill. It, that person who's nitty, who, who's just making smart decisions, doesn't need to be that good. They just need to be better than their opponents. Right. What do you think the cause was behind the self-destructive behavior? Like, have you, uh, I'm sure you've thought about like a root cause and what do you, what do you think that was? That's, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's, first of all, I have um, a compulsive and obsessive nature when it comes to certain things, like certain things can kind of hook me. Right. And when they're positive, like for instance, in the beginning with poker, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't fully obsessed when I first started playing. And I think that that actually was good for my career. Absolutely. I put, it wasn't even, it wasn't even hard to put in work. I just, all I wanted to do was think about poker and get better. So I think that it has to do with being tunnel, kind of a, a mental tunnel vision that I can get in a compulsive nature. I'm not really sure if there's like some some self-destructive part of me that wants to to just burn it all down or if it's just like if it is just having that nature cuz everything I do I do either like 100% or I just don't do it. So I think there's I think there's a lot of roots at it but I think that when it comes down to it I think that I just have uh, addictive personality traits and I have to I have to work on on managing them. Um, because actually there were some regs that I made in these 25 Ks recently on the way, on the way going down that I, I didn't, I shouldn't have made that I thought were, that were reckless. And um, I actually put myself in a worse financial position than I've been in a long time that I, and I've been grinding my way up here because even though I'm, I'm technically up half a million in these 25 Ks, I had more of myself on the way down than the way up. So at some point, I probably should have just been like, you know what? These are, these are too big. <laughs> like, and they're not as good as they were, so I should just stop. But I was like, I could feel that I was in like a chasing mode. Right? Yeah. But no, you know, I, I definitely thought, I have lots of thoughts on what it is. But it isn't, there isn't any real desire to just crash the, you know, burn it all down. Um, at least not on the surface, I don't think. I don't I think, think it's anybody's conscious desire to yeah. to crash and burn, right? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's tough. I mean, I think you 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 spoke at, in the beginning of, of our conversation about um, like removing your emotions, um, yes. minimizing the emotional impact. And I spoke with Fedor Holtz. I don't know a, a while ago. <laughs> it's been like a month, uh, three weeks or a month. But I, I spoke to Fedor, and, and um, actually, no, I think I. I heard uh, in my research for Fedor, he was talking about removing the emotions and how that can be in a way removing the magic from poker. Because like part of the magic is, you know, especially in the beginning, you make a big score and you're on cloud nine, right? It's euphoric, super pumped. Mm -hmm. And when you remove the emotions, you're targeting the negative emotions, right? Typically you're targeting the feelings of, you know, self-hatred and all these other things. But what happens is you don't feel the highs and you don't feel the lows. Do you feel that like, like, uh, some of the magic of poker when you're minimizing your emotions goes away? Maybe. Um, but for me, it's the only way to manage. 
So the I guess you could say that the magic came back for me recently. I was excited to play. I was just because after winning like two million in one month, I was like, <laughs> holy crap, this yeah. is easy, you know? And I was just like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be like like yacht money soon. Yeah. Um, and uh I the the rush of playing these was something that I hadn't felt in a long time. I don't I don't I, I intoxicating don't really all almost, it, it, right? Like and the thing is, yeah, like maybe that was magic, but the truth is that I actually do try to cut that out. And of course, there's always a little part of me that's celebrating when I win and upset when I lose. But I try to just focus on decisions. And the magic to me is the beauty of the game. The outthinking someone, playing the puzzle. That's the magic. And the swings and the all-in and like that, like the, the super intense highs and lows, like I'm trying to avoid because that's the kind of stuff that gets me in trouble. So... I don't know. I, I want to say that part of the reason why I think that I have such longevity, because not many people that almost nobody that was around in online poker 15 years ago is still here and winning. And uh, I think part of that is that the high of winning doesn't feel as bad, like <laughs> as good as it feels bad when you lose. Right. So that overall, it, it kind of the feedback is, is rough. Secondly, um, I actually do think that putting myself, I've, I've, I've kind of backed myself against the wall a couple times in my poker career. And I do think that, uh, that has forced me to stay hungry. And, um, I kind of, I think I do kind of like the challenge sometimes of, of battling back because sometimes, you know, when you're like, okay, when I get there, when I get there, that's going to be so awesome. Then you get there and you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah what do i do now you know so it's kind of fun building back up again and one of the things that's maybe not so good in my life but um i'm, I'm working on it but good for my poker i believe is that i i view money as ammo i i, I don't really view money so much as as like when i play a 25k i'm not like okay i just registered a car i just registered a car you know like i don't think like that and uh i think that not putting a high value in money and not sweating money too much is, is useful. Don't get me wrong. Like being broke sucks. But like, um, for me, I, yeah, I just, money doesn't, I have, I have like a healthy lack of respect for, or maybe an unhealthy <laughs> lack of respect for money. So, um, it comes with the territory, yeah. I think as, as a poker player, you kind of um, have to yeah, you know, lose your mind. <laughs> I, uh, you're right, though. There, as far as longevity wise, there's not a ton of people that have been around since 2000, you know, early 2000s that are still battling and playing on a regular basis. There is something. So I'm thinking back to an interview. I believe it was Tim Ferriss. He was interviewing a guy, and something that the guy did in college, and this ties into battling back from broke, is he went and lived in a tent in Europe and ate cans of beans. Like basically, and then he did odd jobs to exist, right? And like his thought process while he did that for like, I don't know, three months or six months was if I lose everything, this is as worse, this is as bad as it can get, right? So mm -hmm. he realized this is, you know, and it wasn't that bad. And so when he realized that it wasn't that bad, that, that removed a lot of the fear that he had of, of taking risks in life. So like 
this is uh, it's kind of a hidden benefit to, to going broke or getting backed, in, backed into a corner in poker. If you have people that believe in you, you it, it also gives you know empowers you to know like, okay, I'm going to be okay even if the world burns down. Absolutely. I, I think that that's, like, that's an amazing story. I love it. Um, and it, it ties into... I'm not a religious person, but the like a, the philosophy and religion that I um, most identify with would be Buddhism. And uh, Buddha was a beggar, right? He he chose to not have any attachment to to any any uh, items, you know. And he 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 lived as a beggar and lived a happy, happy life that way. Right? And as the story goes, he was super wealthy, right? And gave away yeah. all of his wealth. Yes, he did. He was. He uh, he kind of ran away and became like a, a aesthetic for a little bit, and then eventually became enlightened under the, I think the Bodhi tree. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that story is is you know a tall tale, and how much of it is 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 truth. But I do find a lot of truth in the basic premises of Buddhism and and uh, non attachment and just being being very mindful and present in the moment. And that's that's what what kind of helped me too is that when I got out of treatment like six years ago, I was like, "Crap, man! Like I'm I'm broke as hell. Like I don't know what to do." But you know what? I got a roof over my head. I have food, and I have good people around me. And how do I? I don't need I don't need anything else, right? So that's the other thing is just realizing that I don't need too much to be happy. I need I need human connection, food, and a bed. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a bonus. And all we have is the present moment. Sure. For somebody you know, like you, I think that that chases that rabbit you know, that's leveling up and has internal goals that you're striving for. Like in the poker world, you know, it, it's obvious you start out at 100, you move up. If you're an MTT player and eventually you know, the end goal is to play high rollers or whatever your end goal is, right? Um, it's just easy to get lost in that chase and feel like you're a failure even after having so much success that you know, people would dream to have or poker players who are in a different spot would dream to have, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about my career. A little lack of humility moment. Um, I believe, well, especially when I was up two million, I believe that I'm like literally the most profitable online tournament player of all time. I may not be anymore. Actually, probably not because there was one guy that was up like three point six just in the twenty five k's. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is that, uh, yeah, I, I having that perspective of being like, okay, like poor you. You're in this wonderful city, Vancouver. You've done, you've been able to not have a real job for 15 years. You know, life is actually just okay. Life, life is great, in fact. Um, and I actually, to answer the second part of the question about the high rollers or being in the boss, I guess that is, that was kind of my goal. But then I realized, and the high rollers are a little too much like Fight Club. Everybody has their little groups where they're studying with each other. There's, there, there's a lot of secrecy. Everyone is just like so focused in those, at, at those levels. I believe that I, that I, that I have the skill set to beat high rollers. I think that I've actually proven that playing these 25Ks with you know, one whale and the rest are just the best players in the world. But 
I'm not sure that I want that for my life. I don't think, I think the swings are, are insane. And I think that, uh, you know, the traveling from country to country for me would be very, uh, again, uncentering. I like to have roots. Disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I think I found a little, like a, a thing that works. I believe that I have, I've been lucky enough to have friends that, and, and a, a study routine that puts me at a level where I think I can play against anyone in the world. But my routine is just essentially coaching, working to get better, playing when I feel like it. And that is what ends up winning a lot for me. What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. Okay, so for the audience listening at home, you when you say you study your process for improving your game and talking to your friends, um, this is just a vitally important part of the process, getting good feedback that's trustworthy. If peop- there's somebody out there that's looking for feedback on their game, what would, you, what would you suggest they do to find a group that you know, can help them just move up and up and up. Well, you can go to my training site, www.max-value.com. And I would recommend the blueprint course that I recently helped create. The idea of the course was that we simplified for me, like 15 years of knowledge and putting together into, into very simple rules to be able to execute in poker. Now there's the problem with any rule is that it's going to be, overly general. But uh, for the most part, the idea of the course is that, uh, is that you have about 80 and 90% of what you need to beat almost any level. So and in that max value community, we have people who are helping each other with their game. I participate, uh, et cetera. So that would be one thing. I mean, I'm definitely shilling for myself here. <laughs> no, it's uh, fine. I mean, <laughs> hey, everybody, everybody needs a, a way to think about poker and a process and these little heuristics, like you said. In a lot of cases, I think the heuristics, no offense, are a lot of bullshit. 
But in some cases, having a process um, to logically think through hands and put yourself in a position to make great decisions, I mean, that's kind of what poker is, right? That's at the heart of playing winning cards. So yeah, basically, if you want to work with me and work with my community right now, maxvalue.com is a good place to start. The Elevate program is what I do. Um, we have charts. We have, we, we're all about goals, accountability, things like that. Um, as far as like how I came up, honestly, I think that I got really lucky. <laughs> like, I think that uh, if, you've ever, if, if you've ever read the book Outliers, it's kind of like I, the reason that I am where I am is because I came up during the boom. I met the best players in the game just randomly through online sites. And I, I had an upswing early. I also met another guy who, who showed me how to really treat the game like a job. And um, I had that community. But back then, people were way more open about sharing information. Um, and there was a lot less known, right? It was really just about people were puzzling things together and figuring out. But there was nothing, there was nothing solved. Now, the game's changed, but the game's harder in a way. And you can't really just figure it out on your own without using solvers and having a, a group of people around you. People are a lot more secretive about what they do because uh, it's just the nature of everything. They don't, no they one gives out information for free anymore. Yeah, everyone wants to keep their edge. And it goes against my philosophy. My whole life, I've just shared everything. And I, I kind of view myself as like this open node of communication. But the thing is, if I'm communicating, giving you information, you're giving me information. Uh, every direction i'm still getting all this information absolutely so, so i for me i'm not naturally going to be the kind of person that holds things back it yeah. just isn't me it's been a bummer because i've had an opportunity to join some study groups where there's actually some solvers that are not available to the public but i'm like the the rule is like you can't tell anyone who's even <laughs> in the study group you know and i'm yeah. like fight right, club that's not, yeah I'm, I'm just not like that so yeah, me, me neither. Um, it's, it's just not who I want to be. I, I also don't really agree with the idea of like the privileged few keeping this information away from other people. I, I like the idea of if you are willing to work hard, you can get it, right? Yeah, the yeah. I, ivory tower philosophy. What is um, that? Uh, it's just like a, the tower of knowledge. They're just hoarding everything for themselves instead of sharing mm -hmm. it, sharing it with anybody else. People may be surprised to to hear that you know in high stakes poker on two plus two. I mean Tom Dwan, like all those guys used to post on a on a yeah. regular basis to and just ask and like give their thoughts and you know it was an open conversation. I know two plus two has changed a lot in the the last decade, and your journey coming up through the game is mirrors my own in a lot of ways. You know I, I can remember like it was yesterday playing on party poker. Uh, I think it was five ten no limit and battling three handed and just to, like chatting and uh, one of the players I get their AOL instant messenger. This is this dates oh, they, they, dates it right. Me too. Uh, yeah, they get get their aim information and uh, you know it's, it's Vanessa Selps. But of course, like nobody knows. <laughs> you know, she's not Vanessa Selps at that time. She's just a player that I'm battling against. And like a lot of the the crushers, you had access to them. 
you know, everybody wanted to learn. Everybody was friendly. It was a, it was a great community. And so, like you said, outliers, I, I do believe, and of course I ran good in the beginning too, and in right place, right time to find successful and to find success and be able to persist, uh, through the last 15 years or so. I, I do think there was also the fact that it was the first time again for me that I had decided to quit drinking and doing everything. And I was in university with all this free time. And um, my friends, what they did, my other friends who didn't drink, they wanted to play poker on the weekends. And uh, it, just, it just worked out. Plus, right before that, I was really into chess. And I learned how to study based on um, trying to get better at chess. So there were just a lot of things that, that, that just kind of fell into place. But now I really do believe that the game's tougher and there's, there's definitely some problems with that, but hard work is rewarded. You know, I wouldn't recommend anyone gets in the game now, but man, we have some people uh, at Elevate who are like, you know, 40 and 50 year old professors and, and people with regular jobs who are just good at working hard, who are just like crushing PO Sims now. And it's like, it's, it's really cool to see that if you're just willing to put in work, memorize ranges to some spots, just keep going back to your community, asking questions, posting, et cetera. Uh, you can compete at any level. I agree a hundred percent. And I, I actually, I actually disagree in the sense that I think you can enter poker nowadays and you can still find success. The barrier to entry is not so high that, that you're incapable of being successful. And I used to be a little bit more in line with, with, you know, your thinking as far as like entering the game. But then like, I've talked to Matt Staples. I've talked to a bunch of guys who are like entering poker in the last few years that are finding tons of success. And sometimes, you know, they do it a little bit smarter than, than, you know, we probably did in the beginning, as far as like generating multiple streams of income, uh, getting sponsorship deals with stars or party poker or whatever, doing coaching on the side to, because, it's this interesting trap that you fall into as a poker player as far as like like coaching people. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of effort to do it. And if, you, if you're crushing the games, you may feel less inclined to do it. To, you know, you'll minimize that responsibility and you'll focus more on playing. But like having that stream of income come in regardless of your poker results is just so huge for mental game. And like you said, when you're coaching people, it's a different skill set. You have to learn how to teach. And that is also extremely re- rewarding from you know, the puzzle aspect of figuring things out. Well, you also, you know, all these darn students, they're always questioning everything I say. So, <laughs> so I have to be able to back up what I say with either information solvers uh, or, or solid logic. Absolutely. Um, so having to do that has actually, I believe that teaching itself, the, the ability to teach what you're doing is a, is a form of learning. And really what I'm doing when I'm coaching somebody, for sure it's about them and I'm trying to relate to them on their level and then bring them up. But a lot of the times when I'm working with a pro, it's, it's basically just two pros collaborating together. So I, I feel like I get to study all the time doing this coaching which, and I get paid for it, which is sweet. <laughs> but yeah, you know, again, being bringing up the stupid 25 case, when I was crushing them, I, I definitely was like, okay, coaching's off for a little bit. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. But uh, 
You know, for me, every single time that I try to um, just do what I used to do, like, I mean, I, when I first came in, I, I was playing 50 to 80 hour weeks, right? It was no problem for me. But every time I try to do that, like, I'll be crushing playing on the weekends. I'll be like, why don't I just, I just need to grind more. Every time I do that, I actually go on a downswing recently. So I just realized for me that it just, it creates this balance. And every week I'm super excited to play because I have these new ideas that I've been working on, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, I think that having those, um, there is that whole idea that those that can't do teach. But for me, it actually, uh, I think I can do pretty darn well. Um, I think that's a subjective saying that is not necessarily true. Um, I mean, you have you 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 have your your regimen, right? That makes sense. That keeps you grounded, keeps you happy, keeps you balanced in life. Um, mm-hmm. And it's always, I think, it's human nature to test that routine uh, to sort of be like, oh well, because of X Y Z, I need to stop. I'm going to stay up all night and play these 25 Ks, and I'm going to make. Thirty million dollars next year, um, or, or whatever, whatever uh, little narrative story goes on in your head. And for me, I'm like you. I'm always at my best when I have a routine, and when I deviate from that, it always, almost always, ends in me getting crushed, me feeling down mentally. It's almost like I'm super strong now. I can handle it. I got the tools. I've put in the work. I can do this shit. I'm different from the way I used to be. And then everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and you're like, "Oh, I I was only operating so well because of everything else." Um, yeah, yeah, I need that structure. I really do. And I think that also one thing that people forget: um, you don't want to make all your decisions in isolation. You don't want to, because a lot of the times, your brain is isn't, or my brain isn't. Uh, always the most reliable character. So before playing certain events, before, you know, deciding my schedule, what I'm going to do in my life and, or even how I'm playing collaboration is really important. And that's what coaching helps me with too. It helps keep me centered, helps keep me um, in, in in the right frame of mind, running things past people really important, both in life and when it comes to playing poker. And that's, yeah. One of the, the things that I think really kills people in poker is it does, it's really tempting when you're grinding to just isolate yourself and grind all the time and play these weird hours. And um, I don't think humans are meant, I don't think humans are meant for that, that type of isolation, right? Like, and what's weird is there's some friction, at least in my case, um, for getting out of the isolation. Like I I get, you know, before this interview, right. I, I feel some nervousness. I'm like, Oh, like I got to do this interview. Is it going to be good? Like, how, like how am I going to facilitate a, a good thing that the audience enjoys, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's this self-doubt is, and this thought like, oh, it'd be easier if, you know, we just didn't do it, yada, yada, yada. And then I get done and I feel like I'm on top of the world. Like I, I have mm-hmm. so much energy. Um, I feel so much happier, so much better when I'm interacting with human beings um, and the same is true with coaching sessions. When I interact with my students versus, you know, playing a four hour session or whatever it is, I feel so energized, like so much happier and in such a much, such a better headspace than I do just sitting in front of my computer playing cards. Whether I, you know, even, even on days where, you know, I win 10 K it's like, it's, it feels good, but not as good as the interactions that I have with people, which is kind of a strange thing. 
Yeah, actually, I, I for a little bit, I contemplated completely getting out of poker, playing, but not, but not. And I contemplated it because I was like, you know, it's pretty self-serving, and, and it's it's not like, yeah, maybe it's not the the most helpful career and for other people. So I wanted to get into. I was thinking about doing addiction counseling for a little bit, and I worked at a treatment center, and you know what, that was cool. And everything, but I'm I'm kind of like you. I'm like an introverted extrovert, where social situations occasionally are are uncomfortable. Yeah, and I I had to do all this. I had to manage all this conflict, and every single time I had to talk myself up, like, okay, you got to go handle this. And it was way outside of my comfort zone. It was awesome. It was great, but I realized I really like poker. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I want to get paid for for that. You know, Um, and it made me realize that. I've got something pretty cool going on here that I can, I can utilize what I learned with addiction counseling as far as relating to somebody else and communicating with them in my coaching. But, and I can use that for my connection with my job. And then I can continue playing. And I can also do all that service stuff, but as a volunteer, not to get paid. Right. And speaking of isolation, that, that thought, I used to think, that I was the only person that felt that way as far as like not contributing to society, not helping people, poker being predatory and just taking money from people and like, what am I giving back and all these existential crisis type questions. And then I did this podcast (laughs) and this comes up with almost everybody that's been in the game for like a decade. They all Mm -hmm. seem to have these sort of existential thoughts as far as do I, is this really what I'm doing with my life? What service am I providing, et cetera, et cetera. So like even getting out of your isolation and having some vulnerability and talking to people about these sort of issues that you're dealing with to know that you're not alone. I mean, that's, that's powerful to know that you're not weak to think this as a human being, that this is a natural part of the process. That's very empowering. And, I know, at least in my case, if I would have known that this is sort of common for people, uh, professional mm-hmm. poker players, it would have been a lot easier to get over it. And I would have gotten over it a lot quicker than I did. I've definitely been in my head about that a lot. And that, that's kind of where I was at. But then I realized that there are actually some things about poker. Well, first of all, you can do stuff like this where you can be providing a service to other people. Um, I think as long as you are you're ethical within poker, you're not cheating in any way. That that you're um, that you're respectful to other people. That there's nothing wrong with it at all. In fact, as far as like harming people goes, it's actually hard to not harm people in almost any industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because in, in capitalism, there's essentially winners and losers. In, in any in any industry except for the helping industry is 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 participating in harming other people in some way, shape, or form. And poker actually, in some ways, it's pretty cool because there's um, there's no real barrier to entry. It's like pure capitalism in a way because you just if you start off and you work really hard, you should be able to climb to the top based on merit alone, not based on your upbringing, your race, etc. So, in some ways, poker is really cool that way, and it also allows me to not participate in what I never wanted, which was a nine to five job and all that kind of stuff. So doing a deep analysis of poker and, oh man, am I just like doing this super predatory 
thing that's not helping anyone, blah, blah, blah. I actually ended up coming out being like, you know what? I like what I do. And, and I think that the way, you know, there's just some ways that I have to go about doing it. But yeah, I, poker actually came out looking pretty good when I really looked deep into it. For sure. I'll never forget the moment. My mom was in the room. I was probably, I was 22 years old. And my friend that I came up, was coming up in the game with, uh, said to my mom that, you know, he said, Brad never has to work again. Like Brad can play poker forever. He never has to work again. And I remember that thought of like, holy shit, I never have to work again. Like thinking like, I might, I might actually be able to escape this nine to five thing that like, I had no idea what I wanted to do anyway. And I was sort of just floating around Mm -hmm. and I get to play a card game with my life like that. I I remember that being very uplifting and a very freeing thought. And like, I think at some point when you do it for so long, uh, you kind of forget, you kind of you kind of disconnect from like the real world and how other people have to go about their jobs and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like you said, I have every day I can wake up and be grateful that I had a dream that I was going to be a successful card player, a professional. People laughed at me when I told them because back Mm -hmm. in 2002 or 2003, that was not a thing that, you know, it's not, it's not even mainstream now, much less back then. But, um, you know, I, I did that. I accomplished that. I, I'm proud of that. And uh, I feel good knowing, coming back to the gr- gratitude that, like, yeah, I, I can play cards. I can help people. I can release my podcast. I can coach people. And that's a, that's a fulfilling mix for me. That's a balanced life um, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Even the guy that, that, that really helped me, like, he was a hardcore grinder, like a bonus, bonus kind of grinder, a bonus whore. Yeah. And... uh when I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be those guys um, talking about being on the leaderboards and then playing in the big tournaments. He was like, I don't know, man. I don't know about doing that. Just, you know, like those guys are really good. And uh, I hate to be this. Guy. I don't hate to be this guy, but you know what? Nothing inspires me more than somebody telling me I can't do something. So I appreciate that. Everyone that said, I, like everyone that laughed at me and, uh, and said like, no, 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 keep your day job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Because uh, it inspired me to actually prove them wrong. And um, if, you have, if you have enough desire, if you have the passion to do something, I mean, on top of that passion, you need some, some, some structure. But if you have enough passion and you're willing to do anything it takes to get what you want within reason, you will, you will succeed. And that self or that doubt that is projected onto you is a reflection of how they feel, right? Like it's Mm. never a reflection of you, your capabilities. It's a reflection of they don't think they're good enough to beat those guys. Therefore, they project and say, you're not able to. Like that's that's sort of the the human psychology behind it. So like don't get discouraged, you know, for the people listening when people tell you you can't do it or it's not possible, et cetera. That's just – other people's doubt projected onto you. You know, it is kind of funny. So yeah, I, I agree. I agree that the people are projecting their fears onto you and they think they're helping you out by giving you a, um, a safer, less uh, dangerous course of action because they can see all kinds of ways they can go disastrously for you. And to be fair, there are lots of ways that it can go. <laughs> for sure. And, and so I'm, I'm not, 
I, I have no nothing but like, I'm not trying to hate on the people that were saying things like that. They were just trying to help. They're projecting their fears. Well, but you I have to believe- not be delusional too. Like you, you have to have a, a very, you have to have clarity on your actual ability and your actual skill level and your actual desire. Like, are you, you know, are you putting in the 60 to 80 hours? Are you working to improve? Do you have a community? These things need to be in place. I don't want to like give off the perception that like just anybody uh, that saying, no, I don't think you can do this um, across the board is bad. But for some people that are capable, that, that can do it, it could, it could be bad. Well, yeah, I, I actually think, and that's, that's, again, coming back to max value, that's, that's, what, that's what I think is actually the predictor of poker success. You got that passion and that drive. And a lot of people have that, but they can, they, they can use that just gambling their life away or whatever. What you need to do is you need to put a system and structure into your learning and your playing schedule and what you're playing. And that's hard to do because poker doesn't impose any, any system on you. You can, there's no schedule. You can just play whenever you want to. So there's this weird balance you have to have of, you know, being able to gamble, not care about money, but also having a system in place, having discipline and target, uh, pushing your, using your passion to get better all the time. You know, that's, that's what's going to give you success in poker, I believe. As a coach, I do have, I, I have a weird question. Has somebody ever come to you with sort of outside, outsized dreams or expectations and you've told them no? Like basically give up yeah. on poker or, you know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I've also turned away a couple of students. Um, um, I'm not going to, of course I won't name names. Um, but uh, there was a guy where I wasn't just, he just wasn't improving. He kept coming back to me with the same mistakes every time. And um, in that case, I did say, um, I don't, I don't know what I can do for you. You're not, you're not grasping what I'm, what I'm asking you to do. I don't think that this career is like, is good for you. I, I think that the, that there are a lot of people that, that poker isn't going to be the best career for you. You need a lot of, you need a lot of conflicting traits, to be honest. Um, you need to be able to not care about money, but also not be crazy with your money and, and in your regular life. You have to be able to play kind of weird hours sometimes but also have discipline within your life. Um, I think that there's just a lot of, there are a lot of, hmm, yeah, you have to have conflicting abilities. It's hard to put together a recipe for what makes an elite poker player, right? It's very difficult. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, BBZ, this guy has, you know, millions. And, is such a nit with money. He's not like, he's not like, uh, not he'll, he'll pay the bill. You know, he, you know, he's not like that. He's, he's just like for himself, he doesn't, he won't purchase an app or anything like that. He's just <laughs> very, very frugal with his money. And for me, that's hard to believe. Cause I'm like an app. I'm like, Oh, that's like, that's like a $55 turn. That, that's like a $5 rake, whatever. I don't, I, I'll pay that. Sure. I have a hard time with that, but for him, he's managed to see the value of money 
and only make good investments when he's playing, but also not get too sweaty, you know, not, not get too upset about like minus 20 K days, minus 50 K days. That's hard to do. <laughs> it's, it's hard to compartmentalize um, the different, the different things. And the thing is like, you know, you have a minus 20 K day in poker, you had a chance, right? Like that's, that's always the thing that I tell myself, you know, you have a bad day. I had a chance at least to win money. If I were to go and blow 10 K on a car, I had no chance or 20 K or whatever it is. Like the money's just going to be devalued. So like always keeping that in mind, like Elliot Rose says, you know, you are the casino. It's like make good decisions. You will make money over time. So like that's sort of the story that I tell myself on those bad days is like, okay, you had a bad day. You lost a lot of money, but you had a chance, right? You had a chance to win more. It just didn't work out, and we move on until tomorrow. You were making plus EV. Uh, you were making plus EV registrations that were, that make you money in the long run. You got all the Splansky bucks, um, <laughs> and and in a way, you kind of have to to lose those to win because you have to keep playing, and then eventually you will go on your upswing. It's just so yeah. He's got a, he's got like such a cheap car. I mean, it's not a cheap car, but it's like, you know, he's, he, he can afford like he can, he can afford to live like a baller, but he doesn't do any of that. And I, I really respect that. Um, Cause when I first started making money, like I was, I was, I thought I was like a rapper for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People look down on uh, like you see this again, you see the same story a lot of times people go broke like a poker player goes broke and everybody thinks that that reflects on their direct skill at poker when that can be absolutely not the case. They could just be very bad with life and money in general. Yeah. That, that now over time I've, I've, I've learned my lessons and, but yeah, I've, I've definitely in my 15 years been close to broke. I think like three times, mainly in the beginning, like these last Ever since this last upswing, I've I've been doing pretty well in my life, and the coaching helps with that. But uh, yeah, again, just being responsible—it's boring. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I when I when I watched the main event, and I think MoneyMaker, they asked him what he was going to do with his money, and he was like, "I'm just going to go back to work." And I was like, at that point in time, I was like, "Boring. Give me that money. I'll show you how to spend it." He didn't know. <laughs> he said no. that, but he ended up not doing that. True, true. I mean, it may not even it may not have even been moneymaker. It might have been Raymer, but someone said that, and I I just remember thinking, no way. But you know, when I had a million dollar score recently, I didn't touch it. I actually was just like, you know what, I'm gonna and I coached the next day because I was like, I'm just gonna keep doing what works. How much I'm of not, that was you? Did you have sixty five percent? It's a good day. Yeah. It's an okay day. Yeah, not bad. No, no, no um, friction in going to coach the next day for however much it was. No, it was fine to coach the next day because I, I just was. It kind of blew my mind. I was just like, oh, I just, I just did that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't want to make the mistakes that I'd previously made, which were, if you make a hundred thousand in a year in poker, you should treat it like like you have a you have like a 30 or $40,000 a year job because nothing is guaranteed in the next year or two. Right. Uh, so nope. you, honestly, the best way to play is, is to, um, 
yeah, live within your means. And I also just realized I like my life. I don't need to change it too much. I mean, maybe I could upgrade the vehicle a little bit, but this and that. But if I want something, I get it. I eat good. You know, I, I don't I don't need to be living all bougie. So um, I didn't really just I didn't change anything because I, I I was like, this is what got me here. So I'm just going to keep doing that. At the, it's a sign of maturity too, right? Like you under you're, you understand yourself better, and what's not going to make you happy, and what's going to make you happy. God damn, I'm like an old man now. Um, we all are. Don't don't <laughs> you know? I, I I remember going to casino and like being the youngest kid there, ninety eight percent of the time. And I've played in some games in Vegas where I'm the oldest person there, and it's like, what the what happened to my yeah. life? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny though, because like I, I'm like a big bearded dude. So, um, like, I look like a fish. Um, so, <laughs> so if people, if people don't know who I am, sometimes if I'm at a table with nobody knows me, I'll do something like 7X with jacks. <laughs> and then, like, everyone will fold and I'll show them and be like, I hate fish hooks. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. and it's funny because, like, in Montreal, uh, there's a big game that that runs it's super political to get in and um this guy just assumed i was a fish is the way i looked or whatever and and they let me play in their big game and <laughs> then i had a couple big days and he googled me and was like you are no longer welcome here um but <laughs> anyway at least you had a couple good days at least you yeah. ran you ran good when it mattered well, yeah, actually, you know, he let me stay there while I was losing. And then I had a couple big days and he Googled me and was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course they let you stay there when you're losing. Um, oh, yeah. That's hilarious, though. You, you're incognito crusher. Yeah, and, and I actually am older than I mean, I, I, I've always been older than the majority of online players because I was like 24 when I started. <laughs> yeah. And so like all my friends have always been a little bit younger than me. Um, there was a point in time when there were a lot of 18-year-olds in the game. It's not like that anymore. Um, a lot of those guys have, have, have grown. But I'm still older than my peers, for sure. Um, yeah, like... So you're like 40 now? 38. 38. Yeah, yeah. I'm 30, 36. Okay, so. old men unite. Old men unite. Good thing <laughs> poker is not like uh, an athletic career. We We still cognitively, I hope... I, you know, you still got it for sure. It's up in the air whether or not I still got it. But I don't know, buddy. I burned some brain cells, but I've, <laughs> I, I read that recently we found out that they grow back. So I am. That's a that's <laughs> a close call. When we again, when we were growing up, back when we were like fifteen, they said they never came back. Um, I know. So lucky I, us. <laughs> yep, yep. Dodged a bullet. Neuroplasticity. <laughs> Neuroplasticity. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, I now like it's funny because I remember a lot of people back in the day um, were like, "Oh, I'm not going to play poker for 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 the rest of my life." And you know, now I'm actually pretty comfortable with the idea. I, I I would love to be like, "Yeah, I've been in this game for 30 years, and I'm still crushing these young whippersnappers." <laughs> <laughs> I I told my wife, like, no matter what happens. Do not put anything poker related on my epitaph. Like nothing on my tombstone poker related. I think that's where I draw the line. No way. I'm not like I have like some tattoos. I'm not going to get a poker tattoo. 
Um, and John Ape Styles Van Fleet, just <laughs> right there. Ape Styles across <laughs> my 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 stomach, right next to where it says Thug Life. Um, but uh, yeah, I know. So like, I one of my least favorite things in the world is when somebody who knows I play poker tries to relate to me using like a really terrible poker analogy. You know, like when they're like, okay, how can I put this to you? <laughs> Let's say you got the aces. And I'm like, I'm going to stop you right now, man. <laughs> like, please talk to me in any way other than that. Please. Yeah. You know, I mean, now, now there are, like, if you're a poker player, you can make funny poker analogies, but not like an outside player doing that now. Yeah, you got to be, you got to be in there. And never, ever, ever invite somebody that's really good at poker to like a very small home game thinking that they're going to care at all. <laughs> like, those are, those are the most fun games to punt. Um, and no, absolutely zero thought process. I honestly, I have to admit, I'm just that guy. I say no. I just don't go because it's a lose lose, you know. Because like, well, it's more it, like it springs up around you, you know. Like you're you're somewhere, and then they're like, "Ah, let's play poker." Ah, I bet I can beat Brad. And then the, they just find you know the chips manifest, come out of thin air, and all of a sudden we're playing poker. No, I mean I've had that happen for sure. I I remember just it's like they're like, "I got this. We got this great idea. We're gonna play poker." And I'm like. <laughs> Like my face <laughs> fell, you know, it's like, that's like, that's like, you know, telling a carpenter, I got this great idea tonight. We're going to, you know, <laughs> build, build some shit, build, yeah, <laughs> build a shed. Uh, and for me, it's just like, okay, if I win, it's like not very much money. And my friends are like, ah, the pro took the money, you know? And if I lose, they're like, ha, we took that pro. <laughs> I could beat that guy, you know? Uh, but so that's actually what I, I guess I do if I play those super low games. When I back in the day, if I played them, I would just kind of not care at all. But I've trained myself to where I can't not care. Actually, really, I, I have to just play good all the time, I, or play the best I can. I can play a little bit more aggressively at the end of the session when I'm like one tabling, but I, I, I have to try to play the best of my abilities, no matter what. I can, I can throw the game. I can throw it. Um, and, and as I've gotten more mature too, I've learned, like you said, your friends are happy when they beat you, right? I've learned that, and this is through children, letting my children beat me at things sometimes is like, they feel so much happiness and joy and a sense of accomplishment that that kind of makes me happy too. So yeah, just whatever, give it to people, give, give them that little bit of, bit of self-confidence that they crushed you or crushed me anyway. Man, I am such a competitive person. Um, if I had a kid, I'm not sure I could let them beat me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let me, I'm going to call yeah, that I bluff. Would. I'm going to call that bluff because you can only beat your kid so many times at tic-tac-toe before it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's give them a little hope here. Let's give them an opening to take advantage of. Okay, fair. You know what? Like, I take it back. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I could do that. I, I used to say that I couldn't, but no, no, no. I think that I would for sure throw the game for a kid to let them have that feeling of winning. That, kind of, like, it's just constantly crushing your kid at tic-tac-toe over yeah, and over again. It's ah. almost sociopathic. 
I played yeah. a, a friend of mine who's like, he's sick at chess. Like, I, I'm not a chess player. And checkers, too. I didn't realize there was so much skill in checkers till I played him. And he literally beat me like 50 times in a row at an airport and was like happy as a pig in shit to queue up for 51. Like, he like, I mean, I had one move where I had more checkers than him. And that in those entire 50 games, one play. Like, and he was so, he was just so happy to crush me probably forever. He, he could have beat me a thousand times, I think, and would have had joy from it. I relate. To be <laughs> but so, like, when I play someone at chess, like, I'm like, um, probably around like 2000 rated, which is like, you know, like 200 points less than a master, um, like a weak master. But, uh, yeah. When I play most people, like, I just don't have any challenge. And that's actually not fun for me. Um, so I'm like, hey, do you mind if I kind of tell you what you're doing wrong? So I can, like, which is super <laughs> annoying for them, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I try to do, like, I try to help them, though, at least, and let them know what I'm doing. Not enough to where they're going to ever beat me, but just, like, <laughs> <laughs> enough to where, like, I feel like, like, it's not just me, like, stomping on someone over and over again. But yeah, um, if you're crushing is, somebody and you give them some feedback that directly relates to them beating you, you are the best coach in the world. <laughs> Your coaching skills are off the charts. I think I actually have done that before. I, I, I made um, I with with my buddies because I wanted some chess action. I, I told anyone that if they can beat me at chess, I'll give them five hundred dollars to a charity of their choice. And um I actually did. This guy freaking finally beat me. He, he he took me up on it. He just played me like every freaking every day, and he eventually got me. And uh, I kind of did give him some hints in that game, but uh, he no, he got me fair and square. I, 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 it wasn't <laughs> me. It wasn't me. But uh, yeah, I got got. But yeah, you know, I, I I'm not sure how good that competitive nature is when it comes to a spiritual level like because there's ego it's 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 nothing but ego but that desire to be better to succeed and to be um oh quite frankly like to to crush other people (laughs) is uh probably not healthy and i don't feel like I, i i exhibit that in my regular life but yeah for some reason when it comes to to poker and chess i get pretty ruthless um yeah I can say that I, I have matured over the years, and you're right. It's purely ego-driven. I told this story, I believe. I can't remember if I was on another podcast or my own, but uh, that friend of mine that I that I I grew up with, that you know, we pushed each other to improve. I remember a specific night where he was cash poor and went broke at a casino, and I let him borrow a thousand dollars, and he was we were playing in the same cash game against each other. And I ran a massive bluff against him specifically because I knew he only had $1,000 and couldn't reload and wouldn't want to be in a big spot against me, who is one of the stronger players at the table. And the absolute, the shameful part about the whole thing, I can't even say it. it the, the punt, it's hard for me to even say. I showed him the bluff. Like I, even, <laughs> I, sh- I couldn't stop myself from showing him the bluff. To like max torture, and he just snapped, got up. (laughs) Oh, it was bad. (laughs) Wow. Wow. 
I would have been mad at you. Yeah. I would have been mad at you for sure. I'm but mad I, at myself thinking back <laughs> on it. Like that is just next level oh, douchebaggery. It's just not good. But you know, what else can you do? Like I made a lot of friends in the poker world, so I'm, I'm playing against them all the time. I'm not going to soft play them. Yeah, you know? for sure. And, of course and not. I, and, and if I have some extra information about where they're at or whatever, I'm going to use that. And I actually tell when, I, when I'm coaching a high stakes player, I'm like, Yo, your information is safe with me. I'm not going to tell anybody else, but I promise you, if I'm playing you and I know something about your game, I'm going to use it. I'm sorry. But how, like, how could you not? Like, uh, yeah, you're just exactly. going to selectively forget stuff? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make, because see, what's the other option? Soft playing? That's unethical, right? Yeah. So, making the best move that you know that you can make at any given time is the right play, right? So, I didn't have to show him. i didn't have to show him but you know what if it caused him to get up from the table at that point maybe it was a good thing for him um (laughs) it was a good thing for me because the game got better uh temporarily um not a good thing for my friendship though oh yeah i bet i bet not i bet (laughs) not but you know what man like it's a cutthroat game and at the table you kind of have to be a killer I was definitely a killer um, in my twenties. Like in my twenties, I, I yeah. wouldn't do that today, though. I, I have to say, I, I wouldn't go for the jugular. I would probably put a lot of pressure on them, um, but I wouldn't show them just to tilt them and make them leave. I think that's that's the point to where it got a little out of control for me. Yeah, the show was unnecessary, but the bluff was not. Yeah, um, I've actually like in, in live poker occasionally felt like I lacked the killer instinct a little bit like that I online, I, I just have. And I think that part of that is like, I remember one time there was this like, this like sweet little lady at the table and her whole family was cheering her on. Like they were, and I was like, man, this woman must be like awesome for her whole family to be standing and watching her play poker. Cause poker for me, even sitting down playing is kind of boring. So, I mean, if they're all standing there watching her, I mean, Wow. You know, and she was so nice, but she was terrible and like, you know, just limping every hand. And there were a couple spots where I totally should have ISOed with her with ISOed her with like ace, ace rag and, you know, just and she was super transparent where I just was like, I can't. I'm going to let her. And I was talking with her and having a good time with her. And, um, you know, I actually felt really crappy after that at first because I was like, wow, I just was unprofessional there and let her you know, didn't, didn't totally attack her, which I could have, cause we were having this friendly conversation and she would have believed me and whatever. But, um, you know, later on that day, she came up to me, I saw her and I was like, um, are you still in? And she was like, uh, no, but I just wanted to thank you because I was super scared to be playing with all those men and, and, um, in that big buying tournament. And I had such a good time talking to you and playing. It was all worth it. And I don't know, that made me feel better because I was like, you know what, that's, there were a couple plus EV spots I missed. So I don't know. I still think going back in time that I probably should have just made the professional play and pounced on her, but I couldn't, I couldn't. I'm, I, I, I'll disagree. I'm softer than you. I'm, I'm softer than you, you want to be <laughs> because <laughs> you were, you were soft there, but like, I think that there is value in, you know, she had a good time. And there, there is value in helping people with their experience. You did give up some EV. So it's like this trade-off. 
So I do say that you know you were serving somebody else, and there is something to be said for that. Yeah, you know what? Actually, this is something that I don't do, but I do think is important. And all these freaking high roller players that take years just staring at each other <laughs> need to need to get like stop because part of your job as a live poker player, especially if you're on TV and things like that is to entertain the recreational players, entertain people who are watching. And gosh, I mean, the poker is good, but so slow. They're all so slow and they don't say anything. And they they do say something. It's like hyper intellectual. <laughs> and like, um, I, I do think that a, a small part of your job, if you're a live poker professional, is to keep the whales entertained in there. I'll go above. And so I'm a cash game player. I don't play many tournaments. And I think cash game players intuitively understand this better than tournament players, live tournament players, is that I don't think it's a small part of your job. I think it's a large part of your job to be entertaining to the folks that you're battling against so that they have a great experience and they want to come back. I mean, they they tell other people like it's just part of the gig, Um, not sitting there like a, a wooden you know, wooden statue in the one seat with your headphones on and a hoodie and never interacting and making the experience super boring and intimidating. Like you want to make people laugh. You, you want to create a good game because that's just good for business um, and the longevity of poker. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a, a very clear moment where I was looking at like the 2,500 six max table and it was just like a whole bunch of kids with headphones on doing chip tricks not talking to each other and right. it was it was going on during the same time as like this like limit omaha eight tournament or something and it was just like loud people were drinking it was just like all for sure uh on non-professional players for the right. most part. and i was like hmm i feel like there's a reason why because it didn't used to be quite like that it used to be you know i think that like all these you don't want to lose to some like quiet like snotty kid like just you feel it feels intimidating to be at those tables and also all the bum hunting that goes on online i mean i guess there's no other way to do it but it it, i'm sure it doesn't feel good to feel like i am the i'm the prey here (laughs) they're all just coming after me it can't feel good it can't feel good and like there is no easy solution to that It's time for Balanced Ranges, the game where you get to decide whether my Chasing Poker Greatness guest is bluffing or telling the truth. Here's how it works. I'm going to ask them 10 rapid-fire questions, and they can either A, tell the truth, or B, try to run a bluff. If they fool you with a bluff, they get three points. If you think they're bluffing and they're really telling the truth, they get two points. And if you read them like a book, they get bupkis. 24 hours after each new episode releases, I'll be dropping Twitter polls where you get to cast your vote. Simply follow at Enhance Your Edge to join the fun. One more time, that's at Enhance Your Edge on Twitter. And now, Balanced Ranges. All right. You ready for the Balanced Ranges? I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Your last Halloween costume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think of when I actually dressed up in a costume. Oh, yeah. I was like Chiquita Banana. 
a chiquita like a big banana fruit thing on my head and some coconut shells. I just, yeah. Have you cried in the last six months? Only at romantic comedies. <laughs> so no, I don't, have there been romantic comedies that came out in the last six months? I can't think. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> no, actually, I'm going I'm to change that. It just, uh, occasionally a movie will get me teary eyed a little bit, but, but not too much crying. Okay. Not too much crying. Favorite childhood TV show? Dukes of Hazard. How old are you? What's the fastest speed you've ever driven in a car? I think, yeah, I think we got past 200 one time. 200 plus. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? No. Favorite ice cream flavor? I'm going to say Rocky Road. <laughs> I'm going to say, is that a tell? Scale of one to 10, how good are you at wiffle ball? Are we talking about wiffle ball like regular rules? Yeah, regular regular rules wiffle ball. Um, I'll give myself an eight. I'll give myself an eight. What type of milk do you put in your cereal? Two percent. How many pull-ups can you do in a row? Not sure if I can even do one. All right, there you go. So I've I've uh, I've taken us off course, I think. Um, or maybe we're on course, but I, I've haven't gotten around to the lightning round. We probably ought to jump into the lightning round before you know this is turns into a, a five hour epic thing because I could I could honestly talk about stuff like this forever. I do love talking about it. It's uh, a joy to me. Yeah, I'm a rambly mofo, so yeah, I, I I like to talk about stuff too. I love talking. Actually, as a coach, what I've had to learn to do is streamline, streamline a little bit, be more efficient with, with how I teach. Because occasionally, I will go off a little bit too much into the, into the minor details. Yeah. And that's unnecessary a lot of the times. You need to get, get across the major points, move on to the next. I, I equate it to my students as uh, they're, it's, they're trying to drink water from a fire hose. Um, sometimes because it's just get on one tangent and you know, the reality is you have an hour together typically, or sometimes it goes over, but typically an hour and that one hour can be very concentrated on like one hand or one spot if you're not Mm -hmm. careful. And yeah, me too. Me too. I try to pick two topics and go super deep into them a lot of the times. Um, I find like I'll do a database review, find two leaks, and then go really into those. Yeah. Then write up a report on those leaks, give an assignment, come back to it, check in with it, and then do new topics the next week. That's why I try to have structure within my coaching. And uh, what, give them a recording too, so they can they can go back and and watch it. I think no it's doubt. very beneficial. And, and and the blueprint course that we that we just made is really about the main points, like the. Essentially, the idea of the course is that we would give rules that were at least like 80 to 90% true. Because uh, essentially, the way that Rob described it, there's actually like they did a a study where they gave sports betting experts four pieces of information of their choice and got the results from that. And the sports betting experts did better than... um, you know, better than they did better than breaking even. I don't know. They did better than they were they're supposed to, of course. And then they, they, they had, they did a second version of this where they were given eight pieces of information or something like that. 
I could be totally quoting this wrong, um, but it's the point remains the same, and the results didn't change. Right. So the 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 fundamentals are what are most important, and that's what we tried to boil down the the blueprint course to being. And then you join Elevate for the specifics and for when to deviate from the rules. But you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. Exactly. And at some point, there's just diminishing returns. Like on the things, on the information that you're using, you reach the diminishing returns and it's not valuable anymore, you know, for the sports betters to have 20 pieces of information versus the original four. Totally. Um, Everyone always wants to talk about river, like river calls. And it's like, man, like the nature of them is that they're indifferent and yeah, they're interesting because you have to look back through the hand and all that, but, but really just evaluate your blockers and, and like, it's not, those hands don't come up as much as like, what your three bet range looks like, what your reshove range looks like, like, like the spots that come up all the time. If you're doing those wrong, those are going to add up, you know, and exactly. everyone always wants to like go into like the minutia of, of the river spots. Cause they feel those are the painful ones where you're like, ah, do I call? Do I fold? Ah, I don't know. You know, that's emotional though. That's not. And they're big. They're, they're, yes, by nature, but, they're bigger pots than three betting somebody pre. But like from a frequency standpoint, always work on the high frequency spots that come up over and over and over again. That's going to give you know. That's going to give you the benefit, or that that's going to give you the rewards and maximize your time and your energy that you're investing in is studying. And a lot of times the river spots just kind of intuitively make sense because you have a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that you're putting together. So lightning rounds, let's do lightning it. round. Okay. When you think about joy in your career, helping poker players, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Honestly, it's, there've been so many that just when people, whenever, whenever someone just comes back and is like, yeah, I used this here and I just won this. And, and you know, that happens quite a lot. The only problem is sometimes I've actually, like, I, I helped a couple guys get up in the game and then they bust me from like really high buy in tournaments. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, you know, there's, there's, it's really just when students come back, there, there's an overall feeling of satisfaction and joy. Um, there's not like one super proud moment. And the reason why that is, is because I can't ever really take full credit for anyone's win um, or big moment. It is really cool. Like, like sometimes with poker, there's this thing that happens where, you know, you're, if your friends are winning, you feel like you're actually kind of crappy. But there are some guys that I came up with who I always feel good when they're crushing. And, you know, um, for a long time, uh, Stephen Chadwick was like my best friend and same, you know, it was really like Elio and a few of these guys. I get really stoked when those guys win just because we've shared so much with each other. Um, and we came up together and it's cool to know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out here holding the online game down and, uh, they're out there crushing the high rollers. It's um, the way to be supportive of your friends and all that stuff comes back tenfold, especially in times of struggle, right? Like something happens and, these relationships are super valuable. Uh, it's all—it's just always better to root for your friends and the people that you care about, I think, in any endeavor. Yeah, the only thing is sometimes it, it does hurt when, like, right next to you, your buddy's crushing and, like, you're, you're like, just dwindling your role. <laughs> we're, you know, worried about what's happening, what's going to happen next. And it's not that you don't want your friend to win, but I've been in a spot where it just it's a reflection on where I'm at. Right. You know, and so I get that. 
but it's totally better to just live vicariously and 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 just root your friends on and be stoked for them. For sure. You don't want to be a bitter Betty. <laughs> and uh, going back to what you said about not taking credit for your students, I think as a coach, you know, the coach is the guide. The student is the hero in that journey. So you're absolutely right. Like just guiding people to do their best and then that's their success, right? They earned it. I also have another answer to that now that I think about it. Though. Okay. Um, being the head coach at Pokar um, and being the one that brought in P.O. Solver and brought in Munker and, and brought in the way I look at the game to this table, just seeing them all talk in my language is, is cool. And seeing one guy talk to another guy using the, the like, terminology that I use that I believe came from me makes me that that's cool to see for me seeing that I have that kind of impact that gets spread down. But then there's that freaking flip side where I'm like, damn it, I'm making the game tougher. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's going to get tougher. I think whether we go for it or not, (laughs) whether we share our wisdom, it's still going to get tougher. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just the nature of poker. Super weird. Like I'll discover something or think I discover something and I'll start implementing it and teach a few people. And then I'll see other people doing it who I didn't teach. And I'm like, What's going on here? Like, is this, you know, did I, am I having a direct influence on the game? But actually what I think happens is, you know, calculus was discovered by two people at the same time. So I think that people are going to learn in the, at the, like people are going to learn the same things with different processes using the, using the tools that we're using. Um, but, Especially uh, in a data, in a data driven game like poker where, yeah, people can get your data and they can, you know, they can start analyzing and seeing what it is that you're doing, especially if you're successful and, and crushing. Yeah, I, I've wondered if it is me having a direct effect sometimes, but I, I don't want to. I think that that's probably a little bit too big, too um, egocentric. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it's uh, definitely possible, though. It's not, you know, it's not a it's not a zero percent that, you know, because especially like you said, you, you're going straight up, right? When you're crushing it. People want to emulate and model and see what's this guy doing differently that I can implement into my game. So it's not a stretch to say that you know people can be data mining, they can be downloading and and analyzing. For sure, for sure. Um, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Yeah, way back in the day when I had done what I'd done, which is uh, staying up. Yeah, taking taking uh, Adderall, and I thought it would help my game, but I actually ended up just playing these super long sessions, and then realizing that I'd borrowed more money than I had was, and then waking up like, what am I going to do? And I just, I, I felt that was a really bad spot for me to be in. Um, what was you know, the I, thought, thoughts going on in your mind in that time? Um, a part of me wanted to just kind of escape from it. Another part of me... Uh, was just like well uh, thinking about what i needed to sell like what you know but it was just just a lot of um oh yeah i had damn i should have used this one but uh there's another one too but uh, go they're, for they're, it. Bo- they're both very similar maybe you can edit out the last bit i don't know uh, sure but uh <clears throat> when i was drinking and playing i got blackout drunk one time and uh i had eighty thousand in my full tilt account and the next morning i woke up and i i went to go look at my play poker or whatever, play the tournament schedule. And I had $0 in my full tilt account. And um, I'm like, Oh crap, I've been hacked. 
But then like I, I loaded my hand histories into Poker Tracker and I had played 100 200 against one of the biggest winners on full tilt and like called down with like bottom pair and like a huge, huge three bet pot. Um, just, you know, like 0% chance of winning in this matchup. And uh, yeah, I quit drinking after that for, for a good bit, at least it, it, it felt miserable, especially being hung over on top of everything. And just like, Oh man, it was, I just felt really, really stupid. And I didn't know what I was going to do next loss in poker. Yeah. That was probably the most painful. How'd you get out of that? Just work again, just getting, getting clean, getting sober and uh, focusing on the things I could control working out, just putting my effort toward being a better poker player and um, just not thinking about what I can't change, just moving forward. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I, you know, came back from that and then some, you know, that was, that was 2008. Um, So, yeah. uh, At that point in time, it felt like the world had come, you know, where it was collapsing around me and I was, I was totally screwed because that was pretty much everything for me. You know, it was at that point in time and, it was just hard not to beat myself up and just be like, you were such an idiot. Like what, what were you doing? But uh, yeah, that's always been the thing though. Like those little moments have kind of sharpened me as a human being. Cause I, I had that choice of either laying down and quitting or doing whatever, or, or being like, okay, it's time to get your shit together and time to start focusing on just optimizing yourself, being a better person, being more healthy and studying. Yeah, you don't make it in this game for 15 years by not being resilient in the face of you know massive adversity, sometimes self-induced massive adversity like that. But you have to be resilient, right? Like that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be like me. Please don't. <laughs> um, I mean, some, like some are some are just sicker than others. But uh, like, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's a positive uh, experience for you by any stretch. But it's just like. Even without getting blackout drunk and busting your account, things happen in poker that require you to get back up. Like it will kick your ass no matter who you are. That's just the nature. So you have to have this built in resilience to to be successful over a long period of time. Absolutely. Um maybe maybe I am also like a little bit masochistic. Um <laughs> just a glutton for punishment. I, I don't know, you know, but uh, like you, you, you absolutely do have to be able to reset yourself and be like, that happened. I can either well in it and be like, oh, that guy's such an idiot, blah, blah, you know, whatever, like during the day. Or you can go back to playing your best game, focusing on decisions, just moving forward one step at a time, living in the moment. Yep, absolutely. Imagine there's a a carbon copy of yourself, 21 years old, who's getting into poker. If you could sit that kid down, give him some advice, what would it be? Stop playing the 25Ks in December. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, I'm not sure 21-year-old me was listening to anybody, but uh, like... Not too much because I like where I'm at as a human being right now. And 
they would actually be advice tips about being myself about about being okay with being an open book um and how that's actually served me in my life because uh there's a point in time when I was very closed off and not like that. Right. There was, there was a lot of advice I'd give myself about um, how to handle adversity and how to conduct myself in the world that I didn't used to have. Um, as far as avoiding those stupid, stupid spots where I, I mean, I'd be so much richer if I, if I didn't just punt money like four times, but I'm not even sure that I could have avoided those spots because um, I mean, or that you would even want to. It's yeah, like, they, I learned each time. From right, them, right. That's but, the mess, messed up thing about. Yeah. We, we don't know what would have happened on any different trajectory other than the one that got us to where we are. So it's tough. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, at this point in time, I would just say, just a tip: take December off um, <laughs> in 2019. Take yeah. December off. It's funny, I asked that question to Jungle Man, and he's like, he had like immediate advice that he would give a carbon copy, but then he's like, no, that, they're not going to listen to that. I need to give the exploitative advice to my younger self so that, oh, so that they would crap. listen to it. But, oh, wait, actually, you know what? Damn, man. I, I actually just should have been like, okay, you need to start raising a whole bunch. Here, here are these <laughs> poker charts. Here, here are these like, gazillion spots that the population is overfolding. Try this check raise. Oh, yeah. Turn donking. Do that. Um, you know, like, I, okay, <laughs> turn donking. Yeah. Do that. I, I mean, well, no, like, like, I would just have because there are so many spots the population was playing very poorly. Under defending the big blind, overfolding the three bets. Um, overfolding the C-bet, C-betting too much. Um, just so many different spots that people were playing bad. They, they, they weren't even shoving correctly at all. There were just, there were like infinite spots that, that I could, that I could have taken advantage of and made even more money than I did. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what I would actually do. I was thinking more <laughs> along like sage advice, you know? Yeah. But like yeah. wisdom yeah. specific yeah, he said he would tell himself to diversify and put money on multiple sites instead of focusing on one so that he could make more money. Um, but uh, if you could gift all poker players one book, what would it be and why? This could also be a poker a piece of poker-related content that you feel is worthy as well. You know, I'm not going to say that the traditional like poker, super analytical books. Um, I'm going to say wherever you go, there you are by John Kabat-Zinn. Um, and um, as far as if, if I was to answer this book, this question is like, what do I think is my, like the best poker book right now? I really like Michael Acevedo's book that, that I had a lot to, to do with as far as it, it He's, inform- he's organizing a ton of information from solvers, and there's tons of charts. It's great as a reference book, but it, it's pretty dense. Um, some books that really helped me out along the way, and this is not the question you asked, but it's the question I'm answering. Um, I, I really liked, uh, along the way, Matthew John's book, Will Tipton's book. Um, you know, the first book I ever read was actually uh, Phil Helmuth's book. What is it? Play poker like the pros, I think. Yeah, where I learned about the elephant, uh, the calling station, and then the jackal, who was like the wild player. And then there was like the something who's the rock. I forgot who that what, what that animal was. 
And then there's the Eagle, who's above all other players, like Phil Helmuth. Who, it's pretty much reserved for only Phil Helmuth. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was the first poker book I read. Uh, the first poker book that really that, that gave me a lot of insight, I think, were some of the Sklansky books. Um, and uh, yeah, I did not really fully answer your question. The, the, the answer that I gave, though, was, I think the John Cabot's uh, in. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like the, the Buddhist book. It, and it, again, it didn't have to be 100% poker related. Um, the first poker book that I actually read that resonated with me was Super System. And it was more of giving me a license to be aggressive. Like just talking about aggression in poker was like uh, mind altering, life altering for me. I straight up lost money when I started trying to play like that book because it was. Oh, I didn't play like the book, but it was more like just the concept of like aggression is good Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when i internalized that and applied it at the tables uh that was fun for me because again like you said poker's like a puzzle and the pieces come together and aggression you can learn a lot from aggression that you otherwise wouldn't learn Mm -hmm. I, i i agree i just remember my my story about super system is that I just remember Doyle Brunson and I, I would read it in kind of like a Doyle Brunson voice in my head. <laughs> and uh, I remember it just being like, and I'll go all in with the gut shot, you know, I'll put them <laughs> to the test. And so I, I play these live poker games and be like, I got a gut shot. Okay. I'm going to four bet all in with this because Doyle Brunson says, so I got a gut <laughs> shot. Did not work well for me. Play the um, rush. I went two hands in a row. I got to play the next five hands. I'm not <laughs> folding until I lose a hand. <laughs> More yeah. super system wisdom there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that. the truth is that the, 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 the ideal tournament player in my mind is um, I, hate the, I hate the word small ball, but like someone who's attacking, constantly attacking, hard to win pots off of. Um, but when the money gets in calling, they tend to have it or at least um, are making, they're making smart decisions that way. Um, an attacking aggressive player is the toughest kind of player to play against. I think for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky. It's hard. There's a lot of unknowns. All right. Next question. If you could erect a billboard leading into either the casino or somebody's poker room uh, where they play cards, what would that billboard say? that they have to drive past or walk past on their way to the, to the felt. What's my, what's my goal here? Am I trying to, to get people to come in? You need sage advice. Just something that people, you know, uh, uh, message for folks to internalize. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, Man, you you actually you got me stumped on this one. Um, it, it, so what you're basically saying is like, what's a message to all poker players? There's be. more to life than this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good one. Actually, that's uh, that's a good one because as as poker players, um, a lot of times we get our self worth from our results on on the felt, and that can be totally. very da- very damaging to your personal life, very damaging to your mental health to say, you know, on days where you win, you're sky high and I'm a winner and days you lose saying I'm a loser. Um, very, very damaging. Absolutely. A lot of my, like my concept of myself has to do with who I am as a poker player. Um, and I've gotten away from that in the last few years where 
most of my friends don't play poker. Um, some of, some of my friends don't even really know the scope at which I play poker. I mean, I'm certainly not telling, you know, my friends who are working for 15, 20 an hour about my million dollar downswings and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm going to hear from them is, uh, well, you should have quit while you were ahead. You know? But uh, you ever thought not. about just not playing poker? <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually, um, you know, now have a lot of friends who uh, who are my friends for for me, for my personality, for for what I what I give in that way, and not because I'm some you know high stakes poker player that can give them something. And so I. I I've I've moved away from really identifying with myself as a poker player, although it's still a big part of um, who I am. And I had I had a losing year in 2016 where um, I was still me. I was having a good time. I felt good about myself, you know, for the most part. But underneath it all, I was losing, and I could feel that I was just a little bit in the worst mood all the time. You know, like it was it was there. Yeah, um, it's hard to lose for a year and stay even keel for any human being. Yeah, just working and working and losing. You know, it's just it's it's not fun. Uh, yeah, that's that's got to be very 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 brutal. What's a you've mentioned your site? What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Near and dear to my heart. Well, the project that I'm working on right now is essentially figuring out population frequencies and then in in, in almost every spot and then figuring out like max exploits and then figuring out min exploits so that I'm not too exploitable. Um, it's a pretty, pretty big project. That sounds um, very big. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a, another one with, with, you know, essentially trying to come up with the dream machine. Um, as far as what's projects, a dream machine, um, essentially it's like a, a, a spreadsheet or program of, of some kind that can answer any poker question, like, uh, within certain constraints. Um, it's, it's not, not happened yet. I haven't seen one. I believe someone says one exists, but I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Not for tournaments. Uh, as far as, as far as life projects go, like what's, you just made me realize I need to get a life project. Um, I mean, mainly I'm just doing, um, service work and work, working with addicts is, is, is what I do for the most part. Um, some random goals I have. I just want to uh, get back into music. Do I actually want to get like a scuba diving certificate? Um, just little stuff like that. But I don't. I don't have any. I just got done the big project, you know, and I, I don't uh, have any other big things on the horizon. I've got my my I've got little interests here and there, like you know, string theory kind of stuff or or M theory. Um, and uh in finance a little bit but i find it pretty dry uh no that's pretty much it nice i mean still got a lot on your plate all the students all the the course interacting with the community helping folks and playing about, cards that's a how lot about you what's a project that you have that's really near and dear to your heart other than this podcast oh you killed it this is podcast no i'm uh, for me i'm i'm working daily on a course uh called home game hero that's specifically helping folks crush uh their local home game that's that's the pro that's the project that takes up the most amount of my time on a daily basis yeah i guess what happened with me is that it was the blueprint 
it was it was making the blueprint. It's this animated course that that was scripted that took a long time to do. Um, so there's there's kind of a void where that was, and that's yeah. a reminder. I usually have a big project. You know, I co-wrote those books, and and um, um, there's usually something big on the horizon. But right now, I've mainly just been working on. Um, yeah, I mean, like these huge exploitive things versus the population. Lots of poker stuff, just going in even deeper into my poker stuff. But that question made me realize that my life, I would like a bigger project in my in my regular life, other than just like personal fitness. Yeah, it's tough. It's a, it's a nature of the nature of goals. Um, a friend of mine's a gold medalist, and he. I've done a lot of research on Olympians and people that have a massive project and then they complete it. Uh, and then they kind of spiral a little bit because they don't have that focus. They don't have that drive, the thing that they're working towards anymore. It's like, Oh, I won my gold medal. Now what? Which is, I mean, high achievers, man. That's a, that's a real issue. I think that I actually uh, brought that up pretty much earlier. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I think I said uh, but yeah, that, that happens. That happens a lot. Like I, I accomplished a lot of the goals that I that I set out to make, and I remember not feeling as good as I thought I would. Um, but this actually helped me one time solving my. Uh, I had what I think are anxiety issues, and uh, when I was writing the book, um, volume two, I was stuck in a lot of spots, and I just didn't want to write it. So anytime that I was having a good time relaxing. It was like my brain would be like, why are you relaxing? You got this book to stress out about. And I, I just felt like I could never really just relax or feel, feel, um, feel good. Because in the back of my mind, I had this book. Then I finished it. And I didn't feel that much better. And I realized that my brain just likes to, to worry about something, to cling on to something to feel stressed about. And that mm-hmm. actually helped me let go of that anxiety because I realized it's just in there. It's like a, it's a tool that you can use. Sure. But it's not something that is indicative of anything real. Where um, that's even going to get resolved based yeah. on some sort of accomplishment. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was expecting this huge weight to be lifted. And then it was just like, Oh, well, <laughs> what yeah. the hell happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The... But yeah, I, I, again, part of the human condition, I think. And this this is it, man. Final question. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved talking to you. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter, ApeStyles. You can find me on PocketFives.com, 2 plus 2. Um, my Skype is ApeStyles, John Van Fleet. MaxValue.com, that's M-A-X-Value, V-A-L-U-E.com. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm available for coaching from any of those spots. And also, uh, hopefully, you'll check out the blueprint, the course that I spent all that time on. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty available, pretty reachable. You are the man, sir. Thank you very much for your time and your energy. And uh, loved having you on and look forward to having you on again sometime in the near future. Thank you. It was fun. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.